Welcome to the Revivalist podcast. Um, I'm here with Ezra, and we are looking at Romans chapter 3 to uh, verse 9 to verse 31. Um, and so here's a little bit of a, an overcap, like a, a, a reflection of what we study in the past. Can you give us a, a rundown of what we studied, Ezra? Yeah, so last time we did uh, Romans 3, 1 to 8. And Paul's just kind of making his case like, okay, uh, like he said in chapter two, like circumcision, but heart is what's important. But uh, for the Jews, we actually stand, they sound a little bit more guilty because they had the law, but they didn't follow it. And so in chapter three, verse one to eight, he makes the case, okay, the Jews did have an advantage. They were trusted with the very words of God. And just because someone was unfaithful to those words, to the laws of God, doesn't mean God became unfaithful or anything like that. God is still faithful. And he's still just in everything he does. Um, that's kind of some points we went over last time. And today we are starting uh, verses 9 to 31. I think this is, yeah, this is probably a really good place to go to in Romans. Uh, and getting a good understanding of uh, where we stand before God and how gracious he is to us. Yeah, so human depravity. Human depravity is um, one of the most important things to understand um because what it does it real it helps us recognize that we're in need of um a savior so we're just gonna read uh, the first section here and then we'll uh, talk about it um, so verse starting from verse nine what shall we conclude then do we have any advantage not at all for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, as it is written. And these are uh, verses from the Old Testament here. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues are, they, they practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Mm -hmm. So let's just kind of do an overview of what we went through. In Romans 1, Paul explained the wrath of God. In chapter 2, he's basically talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, how neither of them are righteous. So the question is asked then, if neither Jew nor Gentile is righteous, who is righteous? Nobody. And that's the point. Only God is righteous. There's not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. The only one that is good is God. Mm -hmm. And everyone always likes to believe in the good in humanity, that there's this inherent goodness in all of us. And while, yeah, we can do good, at our core in our hearts, we do evil in God's eyes. Uh, we all want to believe that we ourselves are good people too. However, this is contrary to what scripture says. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite, that humanity is bad by nature 
and can do not do good. Everyone is hopelessly corrupt and depraved. Yeah. Um, and this is interesting. I was reading Augustine and uh, Augustine has a very interesting story. He, um, his mother was a Christian. His father I, was not, I think his father might've died, actually might've left the home. Um, and uh, he was a very um, wild man. He would, um, he would, he wanted to become famous. He wanted to be one of those spokespersons kind of like, um, I don't know, <laughs> not like a, a famous philosopher. Um, that's what he wanted to be kind of like, uh, um, what's what's a famous a, a, uh, what do you call him um, Socrates or Socrates or yeah dad. someone like that that's Plato? who he wanted yeah. yeah Plato he wanted to be someone like that um, and so he did many different things in order to achieve that he was a wild man he would have um, he would sleep around with many women all over the place um, but uh, God did a miraculous work in his life and he saved and he saved him. And Augustine looks back on his life and he recognizes that he was sinful right from the very time he was a child. He, he puts this argument forward. Even when I was a little child, even when I was a baby, even when I didn't know how to speak, I cried, I whined for something that I wanted. I maybe didn't need it at that time, but I made a fuss because I, I wanted the attention. So even in that, like I was letting out my anger, my frustration through my cries, even though I could not speak, there was still anger and frustration there. And so it's interesting that he looks back and he's like, yeah, even as a child, even before I had the intellect, um, I still struggled with sin. Um, and so, yeah. So talking about this, this, there is no one righteous, not even one. You know, I find that interesting to tie that back to, to Augustine, but uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really like the fact that Paul uses scripture to make his points that everyone is to pray because uh, the common like belief in Judaism was, okay, we're well, righteous by doing the works of the law. And Paul's saying, no, even scripture makes it clear that nobody's righteous, not even one. Everybody is sinful. Doesn't matter if you were a prophet, priest, or a king in Israel, like everyone sinned. Everyone did evil in God's eyes. Everybody sinned. And he quotes from multiple passages in scripture. And I'll kind of just briefly go through each one really quickly. Uh, the first part, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands God. That's Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7. Basically saying like no one understands how guilty they are before God. No one understands how sinful we really are. Um, the next one, it's... Uh, Either Psalms 14 or 53, Psalms 14 and 53 are very identical. There's just like slight differences, but he's quoting from there. Um, There's no one who seeks God and all have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And what's really funny is that word worthless in Hebrew uh, means spoiled milk. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of interesting because like you have spoiled milk. What are you going to do with it? You're going to throw it away. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's useless. You have, it has, it's, it has no purpose anymore. It's useless. It's become useless. It's, there's no need for it anymore. It's worthless. So they have all together become spoiled milk. You could say that, yeah, because we've all done evil. We're all corrupt. We're all spoiled, in a sense, like milk. And we're just thrown away. Yeah. Yeah, and unconverted humans have no uh, value in pleasing or serving God. Like when Jesus talks about when salt loses its saltiness, it's only good to be walked over we are useless because of our sin. 
Then he quotes from Psalms 5. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceits. Our throats are open graves. When a, Imagine like a grave that is open. The stench of the corpse just comes mm. out of it. And mm. because of our core, we're dead in our sin. The stench of our depraved human nature just comes out of our throats. Because you said out of the, the what's, what's the verse? It's like out of your, the words you say come out of your heart. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it really shows the true nature of your heart and it's gross, <laughs> disgusting. So because we're spiritually dead, the stench of our decaying spirit is made known to God uh, and we're liars to deceiving ourselves and others. Hmm. Uh, Psalms 40, uh, one, Psalms 140, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Uh, our words have such disastrous effects in people's lives. We destroy people with our words. We harm others with our words. The tongue holds the power of life and death. That's what scripture says. And we use it to cause destruction in people's lives, even if we don't even mean it. Yeah. Uh, next is Psalms 110. Or sorry, not Psalms 110. Psalms 10. Uh, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Hatred comes out of our mouths. Uh, mm-hmm. Next one's Isaiah 59. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. We are murderers at our core. Our paths are full of destruction and of harming others and ourselves. And we have no peace inside of us. Even Jesus says that if you even hate brother or sister or call someone a fool, you're a murderer at heart. We're all guilty of that. And that last verse he quotes is Psalms 36. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The reason for all of this is because we don't have the fear of God in us. We're not obedient to God's law and we don't live in the fear of God. The human heart is deceitful above all things. That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. And the one thing we have to understand is, yeah, while you might think you're good and whatnot, God's standard is perfection. Like he says in Leviticus uh, 19, be holy because I'm uh, the Lord your God is holy. He repeats that a lot in Leviticus. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The standard is so inconceivably high that there's no hope for us to reach it on our own. And because of this, we stand condemned already. And that's the condition, the human condition that we stand in right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul ends that section off by saying in verse 19, 20, could you repeat that verse 19 and 20? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Mm -hmm. So what is the law exactly? The law was basically the revelation of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The law testifies that we've broken God's divine commands. Um, However, the law is also intended to point us to Christ. That's something also to keep in mind. Um, In Mark 10, Jesus encounters uh, a rich young ruler. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, the law. But he lacked one thing. He said, like, what do I still lack? I've done all these things. What do I lack? Jesus says to follow him. He doesn't follow him. The one thing he lacked was him. The law cannot Mm -hmm. save, but it does bring a person to the point where they know that they need to be saved. Basically the law is like a tutor that uh, points us to Christ. I believe in Galatians three, Paul talks about how 
The law was a guardian until Christ came and to know of this faith in him as well, to be redeemed by his grace. I believe that's Galatians 3. Um, we are all under the law. And when Christ came into the world, he came as one under the law as well too, but he actually followed it completely. Mm. Everyone is held accountable to the law and everyone will be judged by it. No one will have any excuses to make. Paul's not saying the law is bad because I feel like a lot of people are going to think, okay, is the law bad because of this? Mm. No, the law is not bad. The law is good. However, the law condemns us because we break it. That's justice. Uh, the law can only make us conscious of our sin. It can't because it can't give us the ability to follow it. That's why Paul says that no one would justify by the works of the law because the law doesn't give us any power to follow it. Honestly, with human nature, mm. <laughs> we see a command, we want to break it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, that's one of the issues with a lot of all these other religions. If you're, if you're like a lot of these other religions are based upon your own righteousness. And so if you can establish this, establish that no one is righteous, this is, this is one of the key things that when sharing the gospel, when sharing the gospel with other um, people who are not saved, whether they're Buddhists, Muslims, um, Hindus, it's all based upon works. It's always based upon what you can do, but they, what they need to understand and what you need to share with them is that, no, you're not righteous. They are not, you're not perfect. And you share, you share that in a gentle way, but, um, this is the, this is the turning point of Christianity. This is the stepping we're going into a different section. All other religions don't go this way. Christianity says all are unrighteous. No one can achieve perfection. What God, what no one can achieve God's standard of holiness. And so, yeah, this is, this is probably the critical point between Christianity and all the religions that are out there. So, yeah. And, um, what we're actually about to get into next, I remember like when we first started this, I said, there's kind of four blocks to Romans. Uh, the first one was the problem block, which we are, we're in. And the second was the solution block, which uh, this yeah. right here actually is like the bridge that connects those two together. Mm -hmm. And we're about to get into that. So uh, Ed, if you read 21 to 26 for us. Yeah. Um, so it continues. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This uh, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did not demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So this is where Romans starts to change gear. Uh, after everything from Romans 1 to 3, after destroying everyone's self-righteous platform, destroying all religious security, all high horses to stand on, 
Paul leaves everyone with nothing to stand on and nothing to justify them, nothing left for them to do or anything else to say or any excuses to say. And he leaves them with nothing to stand on. After he does that, then he presents the gospel. Uh, and it's really interesting when you look at that, like how he first presents the case of humanity and where we stand, and now he presents the gospel. It really shows us that we, the, we need to get an understanding of where we once were to truly understand the gospel. Because the good news of Jesus Christ will never sound like anything great to us unless we understand the bad news of our own condemnation. And until we understand where we stand before God, Jesus doesn't look like much to us. A lot of people, they don't see like sin as God sees it as sin, and they don't see a need for Jesus. That's why they don't see, really see a need for him because they think, you know, I'm good enough. I, yeah, like, I don't agree with what God says in the Bible, so I'm going to do my own thing because that's my standard. But that's not the true standard of what, a, what good is because God is the standard of good. He is the standard of righteousness, and he's the one who declares what it is. And when we realize that we've fallen short from it, it brings us to such a low state where when we finally able to accept the true grace of the gospel. And uh, as he starts off, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Like I said before, the major theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. Um, and we now are now declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And I really love like how Paul just mentions like how all have fallen short Everyone has ever fallen short of God's glory. But in 24, it says, but all are justified freely by the grace of the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Um, that word justified is a legal term. Uh, it basically means to be declared innocent or in a theological sense, to be declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. You see, the law came with promises that if you obey these laws and if you follow them, you'll live there will be blessings and whatnot. The laws came with blessings, but if they didn't, there was curses. There was, uh, they came with disobedience. Since no one could obey the law perfectly, those promises couldn't be fulfilled. But Jesus came as the fulfillment of those laws. So now those promises of the law come to us through faith in him. Mm -hmm. And like I said, this is what the law and the prophets testify. This was the plan from the start. And like, just a side note, like, the law and the prophets testified every every book in the old testament testified to the validity of jesus christ so as just something that i would encourage um you as you read through the old testament as you read the law the first five books of the of the old testament and then the prophets and try try your best to see how does this testify to jesus christ how does this look forward to his fulfillment. Um, yeah, because it's all about Jesus Christ. It'll change the way you see scripture a little bit. So there we go. I'd recommend not allegorizing Song of Solomon though. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> put that out there. <laughs> but yeah, you are right, Ed. Yeah. yeah. The whole law and the prophets, they testify of Jesus's coming yeah. and who he is. And God, uh, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Atonement is a price that has been paid for our sins that has the result of bringing sinful us together with a holy God being reconciled to him. And we know in, like, in the laws of the Old Testament, there was a lot of sacrifices of atonement to make to cover for the sins. And Jesus came 
as the final atonement sacrifice, the last one needed, because it's the only one needed for us to be purified of our sins. Since humanity couldn't fulfill God's law, God did it for us through Jesus. So now through faith in him, we are cleansed of our sin. Christ's spirit lives in all those who believe in him. So Christ is in all of us. And so before God, we stand blameless. So now that we've destroyed all platforms of religious pride and self-righteousness, now we have a proper foundation to stand on, which is Christ. Because he is the one who truly pleased God and lived God's way. It's impossible to li- uh, please God without faith. That's what it says, I believe, in Hebrews. Uh, it's possible to please God without faith. And with our faith in Christ, we are now redeemed. We are made new. We have a sacrifice of atonement now. Uh, in First John chapter 2, it says, but if we do sin, uh, we do have a sacrifice of atonement that is Christ Jesus. Uh, yeah, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And through that, like I, and also as well, too, uh, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Forbearance is it's not a word we use a lot today uh it just kind of means tolerance so god has been patient with all of us and he's tolerated what we've done so we can be able to receive mercy uh he he was patient with us he waited for us just so we can be able to receive this mercy and this grace and that's a beautiful thing and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness keep in mind like i said righteousness major theme of romans and it's good to understand that to understand all romans and now we receive that righteousness through faith, the same righteousness that was in Christ, his righteous life is now ours through faith in him. And he is taking the punishment of our sins because he's the atoning sacrifice. And then, uh, Ed, if you can read on to 27 to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Whereas God, the God of Jews only, is he not only the God of uh, Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Mm-hmm. And I love how he's mentioning the circumcised and uncircumcised because now Jew and Gentile are now considered one. We're one new people redeemed for God, Jew and Gentile. And this is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that all nations uh, will be blessed through him and his family. And we're going to talk about Abraham next chapter. So it's really important to understand. We're going to be talking about him next chapter. And it plays along with this. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Uh, he's not saying the law is, uh, basically he's, what he's saying is Christ has already fulfilled the law for us. So in him is the fulfillment of the law. So rather we're not nullifying it. We're actually upholding it because Christ is the fulfillment of all the law. Mm-hmm. And he justifies all through faith and he's no longer God of just the Jews. No, he's, cause there's only one God. He's God of everything. There's only one God, and there's nothing that separates Jews and Gentiles now. We are all one in Christ, and we all belong to the family of God. Through his grace, 
uh, we receive righteousness by faith. Mm. And this is the amazing work of the gospel. We didn't do anything to earn it. We could never do anything to earn it. God was just merciful and he gave this to us. Yeah. And like you said before, this is what separates us from other religions. It's not because of our works. Yes, we're called to do good works, but those good works don't save us. Mm. We're called to live in righteousness, but we've already been saved from wrath. Yeah, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, righteousness. And we'll see We'll see a little bit more of that um, in chapter four of what that faith through righteousness looks like. Um, as, as we look at Abraham's story and, um, how he exercised that faith and we'll learn how to exercise that faith, um, by looking at his story as well. So, um, yeah, let's, let's just close in a word of prayer. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think praise God, praise God for, um, saving us, even though we were not, you know, righteous or anything, um, we didn't do anything to deserve salvation, but God has uh, made a way through his son. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. So um, God, we just, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to save us. You've set us apart, Lord. We never sought you. <laughs> we were worthless. We were, we were uh, like stale milk. Uh, we smelt like an open grave, Lord. Our tongues were full of deceit. Lord, there was nothing that was attractive or beautiful to us, but Lord, you made a way. And that way was only through faith. It was nothing uh, that we could do, nothing that we could earn. And God, we're so grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you humble us more and more each day to recognize our depravity, our sin, our distance from you, Lord. We just, we want to acknowledge that it is all you. Uh, Where is our boasting? It is excluded. Um, Lord, we, we have no boast, but we boast in the one who saved us, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, God, we thank you for that. Pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right. We'll uh, we'll see you guys later and uh, see you on the next podcast. See ya.